Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. This is a bit of a special edition of the Theopolis Podcast, a bonus episode for this week. A few weeks ago, we held our Theopolitan Ministry Conference here in Birmingham, And on the Tuesday evening of that conference, we held our annual Theopolis Feast. Every year, we invite a speaker to give a short talk at that feast. And this year's speaker was Esther Meek. Dr. Meek taught a class for us several years ago on covenant epistemology. And it was great to have her back in town to give this talk. We really hope that you enjoy this talk. And we want to thank you so much for listening. And here is Dr. Esther Meek discussing epistemology and feasting. all of you. It's so good to see it. And some of you I know from before. Justin Wallach, didn't you do a covenant epistemology project on ice hockey? Roller skating. Roller skating. <laughs> oh, you got up there and started praying and I thought, wait a minute, I know that man. <laughs> well, greetings to you all. I'm so glad to be here. Um, Do you notice I showed up for the party? (laughs) Well, so it's amazing to me that I get to talk to you about philosophy and feast at a feast. And uh, this is pretty hilarious. I'm going to read a philosophy paper. So, but it is about feast, so I hope it's good for you. Um, I also pray that I don't cough. You can pray with me. It's just very good to be with you, and I pray that God meets us all through um, this philosophy paper. So, I want to commend a celebrative philosophy, a philosophical orientation and involvement with the world, which is attuned to its ceremonial and festive dimensions, a fundamentally festive dimension, I'm saying, permeates our humanness, the real, and our involvement with it in discovery and artistry. It's savvy to be intentional to let it shape and guide us. I pose all this in direct challenge to the prevailing philosophical winds of our feastless modern age. Hi, Alistair. I'm sorry, I had to greet you too. I'm sorry. (laughs) Easily distracted. I admit this may well flow from my personal propensity. I am excitable. I have long thought of myself as a party animal, and here I am arguing that humans just are the party animal. My namesake, Queen Esther, gave a banquet. Actually, she gave two, and saved her people and us all in the process. Also, I want to live up to Peter Lightheart's lovely billing of my philosophy as the epistemology of Elfland. So think (laughs) Rivendell. He's also done something about me in a childlike philosophy. Although I work philosophically, I have adequate biblical warrant for a festive philosophy. The Trinity is a kind of ongoing feast of which we and all creation are the helium balloons. And the whole thing wraps up or actually begins for real in the marriage feast of the Lamb. We live and move from feast to feast, convocation 
to commencement. Also, I try to offer an account of the real which accords with Christianity's doctrines of creation, the incarnation, and the Trinity as per our heritage in the classical Christian philosophical tradition. You may think that I am overlooking the doctrine of sin and all the brokenness of the world. My response is that these sad realities, to be the horror that they are, require a deeper, original, scintillatingly wonderful real. Philosophically, I am interested in this. It seems to me if you start with the doctrine of sin, it isn't Christian. Original sin doesn't mean that. I believe that we modern Protestant Christians have come to underdo the real. We have followed William of Ockham, John Locke, and others to make goodness to make goodness be about the will rather than first about the real. I think we tend to take the Lord's all very good to be an oh by the way value judgment rather than the stuff of the real. We might understand feast as oh let's have a party and miss the metaphysical essentiality of being festal. We need to restore the real. Why would it matter to have a celebrative philosophy? Simply put, to employ Joseph Pieper's lovely title, it is to be in tune with the world. And this is what we are made for. We were made for communion with the real. Communion is feast. What do I have in mind by feast or the festive? Feast is a kind of exuberant closure and disclosure. A feast can take all kinds of preparation, right, Laura? Feast crowns personal and communal effort and desire, but it is jo joyous response to generous appearing and crowning from beyond. I'm also extending the festive to include the ceremonial. For a long time, I have found it significant that humans are naturally artificial. So much of what humans do involve, involves pronouncements or other highly sophisticated personal acts, vows, consent, etiquette, and expressions of thanks fall here, speech acts, language games, worship too, along with feasts. There was a day years ago when my daughter Stephanie and I shut our dog Miles in his crate and headed off to a Steelers Super Bowl party. I marveled at the difference between Miles and us. Miles had no clue whatsoever regarding the gravitas of the occasion. Every Sunday morning is such a ceremony. Miles didn't care about them either. Other animals don't stand on ceremony, as we say. Humans do. Though I can't find the exact reference, Joseph Pieper says, only humans feast. Even our suffering and sorrow can have the ceremonial and commemorative about it. The occasion, of course, will be solemn, but a funeral, for example, is a kind of feast. We Christians celebrate the crucifixion. The Lord catches our tears in his bottle, as we may with each other. Feast requires these elements, the generous gift of the real, and ceremonial human response in kind. 
more than merely requiring them, we'll see that these are just the substance of feast, but they are also the substance of our involvement with the world. Consider this luscious pronouncement of Hans Urs von Balthasar's. The soul's fundamental orientation to the world is affirmation and joy in being. By soul, he means who we are in our entirety. By being, he means the real. Thus, my and your fundamental orientation to the world is affirmation and joy in the real. Maybe can you get a tattoo of this? <laughs> affirmation is assent or consent. Joy, another philosopher has defined as openness to the real. You and I have, actually are, a fundamental orientation to the world. True to our authentic non-miles artificiality, that orientation is either a yes of consent or a no of acedia. Acedia, one of the seven deadly sins, is defined as a refusal to consent to the real. Humans, unlike Miles, have a deep level choice to make and live out, a yes or a no. And Balthazar is saying that the natural fundamental response is yes. As you may know, for decades I have worked to, de to develop a responsible account of how we know. I call it covenant epistemology. Having done that, I have naturally started in on a responsible account of the real. In my incessant effort to drag everyone else along with me into philosophizing, I am speaking of a metaphysics of childhood. Under ordinary circumstances of a child's welcome into the world by a delighted mother, not just mother, a simple philosophy, philosophy implicitly falls into place, a fundamental orientation of delighted and expectant response, of affirmation and joy in the real. And that joyous affirmation is response. The real is already there first, and it makes the first overture one of the ceremonial gift of welcome, welcome to the world. Original to us humans is never the posture of critique. Original in our metaphysics of childhood is the intimacy of our response of delight to the face of the real's hospitable welcome. Why, thank you, I accept with gratitude. Haven't you noticed that hospitality can end run even the need for apologetics? The fundamental posture of modernity, by contrast, is a posture of no. Modernity is the posture of suspicion or disavowal with respect to the real. Modernity system systemically commits the sin of acedia. I, I have often talked about myself as a baby, baby skeptic, but what I have come to realize is that what it was was adolescent onset skepticism. I was 13. Modernity was setting in. I've come to regret the unintentioned but ascetic no that it was. 
what discourtesy I did to the real. Growing out of this fundamental philosophical yes in a metaphysics of childhood is a dynamic of happy personal interchange with things. Things are persons and other everyday items. Things are what I am calling everyday jewels of the real, as I'm calling them. To these, our natural first response is an astonished, hello, it is you, it is good that you exist. In retrospect, prior to my epistemic uncertainty, I now can recognize my deeper down originary affirmation and joy in being. Did I say I have always been an excitable person? The back of my head is flat because I have always insisted on seeing. And not only my little stuffed Ellie, but street sweepers and gasoline storage tanks and high above all in Philly, Billy Penn atop City Hall were all my friends, greeting me at every corner. I learned early on to long to see the ocean, to search hungrily for sand at the edges of the roads approaching the shore in the anticipation of that first dune-cresting moment. And I danced daily, that is, my mother told me, until the day at age four, they stuck me in the hospital and took out my tonsils. I actually think it may have had to do with the shame of wearing a hospital gown, but dance, is the artistry of a full heart feasting on the real. Have you got something for dance at the end of this? <laughs> I've been tapping, actually mirthfully splashing about in a classical Christian metaphysic of things. To be real is to be things. Things arrive like gifts on Christmas morning. They show up in epiphany. This is essay, the Latin word to be, the act of existence. More fundamental philosophically than the essential features of a thing is the wonder that the thing is there at all. Existence is not a mere check in the box. It is something we should never get over. Aquinas gave us this notion, ruminating as he was on the utterly unique act of God's creation. Connected to the ising arrival of things are the other transcendentals, as they are known, telltale marks of anything existing. Thing is the first one. One, a thing's irreducible depths of coherence, then something, that there are others with which or whom it relates as part of its existence, most notably for God, you. The creature who in communion takes the thing within to understand and admire and care. You are the other required, which the subsequent transcendentals to which the subsequent transcendentals positively relate, the beautiful, the thing shows itself to woo me and tune me in love. The good that it and I relate in mutual self-gift and the true that it is brought to be fully itself in telling itself to me. 
According to Balthazar, things self-show, self-give, and self-say, and he says, there is no such thing as a passive object. Given my decades-long fascination with the real's characteristic indeterminate future manifestations, I believe there is a signature abundance of pregnancy to the real. As Jacques Maritain says and Rowan Williams pronounces, things are more than they are. There is both a profound simplicity and a splendid overage to things. The ceremonial and the festal in this metaphysic should be evident. It's as if we were born into Christmas morning. Things are, in their thingness, festal giftings, astonishingly, extravagantly bestowed. This is for you. According to German philosopher Joseph Pieper, feast intrinsically concerns our fundamental joyous affirmation of the world. He writes, Underlying all festive joy, kindled by a specific circumstance, there has to be an absolutely universal affirmation extending to the world as a whole, to the reality of things and the existence of man himself. This need not be a conscious reflection or formulated. Nevertheless, it remains the sole foundation for festivity, no matter what happens to be celebrated in concreto. By ultimate foundation, I mean that the prime festive occasion, which alone can ultimately justify all celebration, really exists. That to reduce it to the most concise phrase, at bottom, everything that is, is good, and it is good to exist. And he says, festivity lives on affirmation, on the basis of faith that all is well with the world and life as a whole. A festival becomes true festivity only when man affirms the goodness of his existence by offering the response of joy. And then third, it is insufficient to call affirmation of the world a mere prerequisite and premise for festivity. A festival can, I'm sorry, in fact, it is far more, it is the substance of festivity. Festivity in its essential core is nothing but the living out of this affirmation. To celebrate a festival means to live out for some special occasion and in an uncommon manner, the universal assent to the world as a whole. Thus, our soul's fundamental relation to the world as affirmation and joy in being just is festal. Modernity leaves no room for feast. He says, true festivity cannot exist in a totalitarian state where labor is glorified. In the present age, he discerns, we see, quote, man's incapacity for festivity. For exaltation of the pragmatic is rejection of the real for its own sake. It rejects affirmation of the true creaturely being of the world, of things, and of man, the being on which all pragmatic states rest. 
There can be no festivity when man, imagining himself self-sufficient, refuses to recognize that goodness of things which goes far beyond any conceivable utility. It is the goodness of reality taken as a whole which validates all other particular goods. A person or an era, quote, truly receives it only when he accepts it as pure gift. In starkly grim contrast, he says, festivity is negated in principle by rationally calculated utility. Thus far, the metaphysics of childhood. What about knowing? Is covenant epistemology festal? Of course, it is impossible to separate knowing from known, and one should insist that one's efforts to know accord fundamentally with the real one seeks. If one is epiphanic, one should expect the other is epiphanic too. And covenant epistemology does. The maxim, we love in order to know, voices a delighted posture of affirmation of the real. I have written of practicing epistemological etiquette, now that's ceremonial. Covenant epistemology is so named because we love and pledge in order to know. Again, we have components of comportment beginning with the yes of consent. I have written that knowing is like a wedding, that we promise to love, honor, and obey, and then reality self-discloses, I might add, in festal glory. And the act of insight itself the aha moment, in sheer grace, the stunning discovery of an integrative pattern irreducible to all parts or clues or subsidiaries is an epiphanically revealed thing, a whole of profound depths and inexhaustive possibilities. The excess is how you know it's real. The aha moment gives us one of our best glimpses of essay, the lively Christmas morning act of existence. Pieper notes that truth itself, as harmony or concord with pre-established order, quote, contains a grain of affirmation, that is, of the festal. I cast the book I'm writing, Doorway to Artistry, as an event of hospitable welcome to express the real's inaugural invitation. This imagined workshop in my home is meant to reflect the process of discovery as well as the creative act. Throughout the book, I present the lovely paradox which accords with the primacy of things. The end somehow operates from the beginning, even constituting the beginning as such. My final chapter, Feast, aligns with the culmination in insight or discovery or in an artistic work. In turn, it is an ending which is also a commencement and a commissioning. How then shall we live? We have got to fight modernity's prevailing winds to return to our natural metaphysics of childhood to a yes of intimate affirmation and joy in being. To be human is to be called to communion, to feast with the real. We are made for communion with the real. Communion is feast. Let me remind you that this is about metaphysical posture. 
Yet, if you will attend and listen, every ordinary thing can reattune you to joy in the real. Also, I would like to recommend that we cultivate the comportment of feast. Our comportment contributes to the festal in our communion with the real. My final injunction in the book and in this talk is to noble courtesy. I believe, contra all modernist utility and bored indifference, that noble courtesy displays the real for what it is in its true glory. When people and other things are accorded the nobility and courtesy that they are due, they stand forth into what they most really are. They are revealed, and we are caught up to share in their grandeur. We become what we are. Noble courtesy becomes, as a color or hat might become someone, the real and ourselves as real. I have been exulting in my recent retirement in precious margins of time. I have soaked afresh in worlds such as Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. It is from the great epic of the ring in Middle-earth at the end of the Third Age that I draw this idea of noble courtesy into our celebrative philosophy. The treacherous quest of Frodo and the Fellowship of the Ring involves many meetings, and many partings, two chapter titles. At each such event between persons, it is important to know and implement the proper etiquette. The dwarves, my granddaughters pointed out to me, for example, always offer their names and add, at your service, to which the proper response to, is to give your name and add, at your service and your families. Very often, such meetings or partings involve a ceremonial feast, from Bilbo's birthday to Rivendell to departing Lothlorien to the fields of Cormollan to the stirrup cup drunk on and beside the departing traveler's horses in Rohan. Feasts include the exchange of proper gifts, the telling of tales, the singing of songs. And it is when Aragorn and others don the raiment proper to who they are at feasts that they stand stunningly revealed. In the sweetest humility of deep gratitude, the great wizard Gandalf himself dresses the lowly hobbits Frodo and Sam for Cormollan's climactic banquet. So, in this God's world, in which all things cohere in Christ, Christmas morning gift himself. Let us be orientations of affirmation and joy in being. Let us restore the good substance of things, the everyday jewels of the real. Let us body forth festive, noble courtesy toward the other. Let us allow the glimmering ends we desire to constitute our beginnings and ventures. Let us entrust ourselves to their leading. Let us exult in the integrative irreducibility and exuberant overflow of things and insights, and let us be in communion with the real. Thank you. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. 
For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.